Amen. If you would join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Our light and moon goal is 38000 right now. We are right at $30,000 uh, for that. Got this week and next week to go. So uh, need a couple of big Sundays with that. All of that goes to the foreign mission field and helps missionaries live there, plant churches there, and lead people to Christ there. So would invite you to give to the Light and Moon Christmas offering. I want to read today from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. Uh, we ask, what's it going to take today to pursue wisdom? Uh, last week we asked a different question, and so we're going to bounce around a few times today from Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and then later 1 Corinthians. But we'll start with Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. I pray, to Lord, that we would devote ourselves to understanding it today. Uh, we are simply not worthy to proclaim your word uh, or read it, uh, but Father, you are gracious to us in revealing your heart in the Bible. So Lord, pray that we would be diligent students to understand it and apply it to our lives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. We ask, again, what's it going to take? Last week we asked, what's it going to take for you to pursue Christ? And we saw the story of the woman at the well and how she had an encounter with Christ that altered the course of her life forever. And the question was, What's it going to take for you to give Christ your wholehearted devotion? A lot of times we wait for that crisis moment. We wait for something to happen before everything shifts and we start taking the Lord seriously. What if uh, you initiated now uh, a, a new path in your life to pursue after Christ? Today we ask a different question. We ask, what's it going to take for you to pursue Wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom and what it looks like to live right, live according to God's design. And we're going to approach it by asking a little bit different question, asking the question this way. How, <clears throat> excuse me, how can I become good at life? Uh, that question just resonates with me. How can I become good at life? Because as we go through life, uh, we may live, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are thriving or flourishing. And so what does it look like? to live well? How can I become good at life? I've heard somewhere that if you devote 100 hours to learning a skill, you'll become more proficient uh, than 95% of the world, whether that be violin, piano, language, uh, guitar, whatever. The point is there's a pathway to becoming good or skilled at something. And Proverbs uh, teaches us that we can be skilled at living, skilled at living life. So today we're going to look at three ancient keys to the good life. Three ancient keys to the good life, to flourishing, to living well. Key number one is chokmah. Chokmah. 
live in harmony with the chokmah of God. You're going to learn three new words today. Well, two out of three. Uh, you, you probably already know one of them. But turn over with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, when we think of Proverbs, we think of wisdom, of course. This is where wisdom is taught, taught throughout Scripture, but this is where uh, it, a lot of it is concentrated. And in Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining chokmah. That's that word for wisdom. Now, of course, they didn't have a Merriam-Webster dictionary back then that says, okay, here's Hogman, here's the definition. So a lot of times the way that you would understand what a word means is how it's used in the context of other words uh, that you understand their meaning. So look at his description uh, and explanation for gaining wisdom. For gaining Hogma, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent or clever behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. So all of these are different angles, different shades of meaning for what we understand as wisdom, this idea of instruction, of understanding, of gaining insight, of receiving instruction, clever behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. All of these are different angles of meaning to what is meant by wisdom. And he goes on to say that, verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And here's this famous verse, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So those who reject this opportunity are fools because they are literally rejecting how to live a good life. As a great theologian, uh, George Strait said, there's a, difference. <laughs> there's a difference in living and living well, right? There's a difference in living and living well. And so a lot of us, we're, we're here, we're living, we're going to go through life, we're existing. Uh, one day hits us after another day, so we're, we're moving through this life. And the question is, are we living well? Are we living according to God's design? This past week I had some students... Uh, follow through with an exercise where they wrote on note cards uh, wisdom that they were going to give. If, if they could give their younger self, five years ago, ten years ago, however long ago, if they could give their younger self a note and impart wisdom and insight to that younger self, what would you write? And I had them actually take a minute or two and just write it out. And I want you to think about if you could write to your younger self, and some, by some miracle you could go back and hand deliver a letter to your younger self to where you could impart wisdom, what would you say to your younger self? Whatever you would come up with, a couple of different things to think about, whatever you would come up with, probably you've learned through experience, right? There's a lot of stuff that we've read in books, there's a lot of stuff that we've learned in the classroom, but in reality a lot of the things that we know that we would say uh, that we've attained as wisdom are things that you've experienced, and quite often those things are successes, but also quite often those things are failures or difficulties you've gone through and you learned something in that process. God taught you something in that process. Now here's another question. If your younger self received that letter from your older, wiser self. Would your younger self pay attention to it? 
had the same reaction in the first service where people were like, ugh. Probably not, right? Uh, we may think that. And some of us may think, oh, yeah, I'd take it. And others, well, it's kind of risky. Okay? Uh, but, but if you could just go back and, like, shake the collar of your younger self, you'd, like, you'd be a fool not to listen to this. This is going to be very helpful for you. This is going to be uh, something that's going to benefit you over the course of your life. And this is what Proverbs is giving us. It's giving us the experience of one of the wisest people to ever walk, step foot on this planet. He's got this godly wisdom as he's gone through life. He's experienced these things. And now he's imparting this wisdom for us to learn. And listen to what he says, verse 5. Let the wise listen. If you're wise, you will listen. If you're wise, you will humble yourself before the word. You'll humble yourself before this chokmah, this wisdom, and you will begin to put into practice. And listen to what he says, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you would be a fool to reject the wisdom of God. Here's the action I want us to take today. Use actual wisdom to construct a good life. If you want to construct a good life, if you want to develop a wonderful, beautiful life, what you have to do is apply the wisdom of God to your life. Do you want to become good at life? Do you want to live well? In Proverbs, in this opening chapter, there's two foundational actions he gives us. Listen and fear the Lord. Listen and fear the Lord. What do wise people have in common? They are ever the student. They are always learning. They are always growing. There's people around them, and no matter where they are in life, they think, I've got something that I can learn from them. A little bit later on in Proverbs 1, 32 and 33, it says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. So number one, the wise is ever the student. They are listeners. And number two, the wise fear the Lord. They humble themselves before the Lord in reverence because they understand that chokmah, the wisdom of God, is woven into the very fabric of this creation. This is how this system is designed to operate. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 says, The Lord brought me, speaking of wisdom, chokmah, brought me forth, as the first of his works, before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago. At the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, and he goes on and on and on. His point is that when God created the world, he created it according to Hokmah, according to his wisdom. He created this system and designed the system and world and creation to function a certain way. So every day that you wake up and you step into the world, you are stepping into a system designed to function a certain way. There is a cause and effect relationship with our Actions, our choices, and the outcomes that we receive. So on a basic level, certain actions, of course, yield certain outcomes. I'll give you an easy example in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, he says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. We could follow that a little bit further 
And he asked us to consider the way of the ant in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What principle, what ethic is he drawing out for us? Preparation, hard work. He's pushing against things that we might think of as procrastination. He continues on, verse 9, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty, there's the outcome, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. And so suddenly, uh, the good life can disappear very quickly if you become lazy, if you're not well prepared. These are just principles that are wired into the system. It's the way this system that God designed is meant to operate. And what we should do is live in harmony with that. There are, there's the fool that wants things to be a different way. And I don't want it to be that. I want to be. And so they try to white knuckle it and come out with a different outcome. But the wise lives in harmony with God's design. Okay. Um, so this, by the way, before we get to the next key, um, we've got to ask the question, why don't we apply the wisdom of God? I think as we're talking, like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's good to be wise. Wise people generally live better. They live the good life. So why don't we just do that? Well, the answer to that, uh, I believe, is found in multiple places. But one example, Proverbs 21, 25, going back to that illustration of a sluggard, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. What, what the Bible says over and over and over, the reason that we don't live wisely is because we give in to our cravings and our wants. We settle for instant gratification rather than delayed gratification. We want stuff to happen now to soothe those wants and those desires and those cravings rather than waiting in discipline and applying God's wisdom to our life. That brings me to key number two, and we do arrive at my favorite word in the Old Testament. Hevel. Key number two, hevel, accept your hevel life. Accept your hevel life. Um, so Proverbs is saying, hey, the world is designed to operate a certain way. There's a system, this operating system known as Hokma that... Uh, this is how the universe is designed to work and function, and the wise live in harmony with that. Um, if you live in harmony with that system, you'll live well. The author of Ecclesiastes comes along and says, yes, that's true, and you should do that. In fact, he, if you go back to what we read earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he ends by saying, by really encouraging the fear of God and keeping his commands. He's going to encourage pursuing wisdom throughout. In fact, Ecclesiastes is what's called wisdom literature, so this is all about Wisdom, And in fact, he writes his words, if you'll notice in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. You think of herding uh, cattle or sheep or whatever, you've got these goads to, to spur them in the right direction, okay? They're like, we're in Texas, they're kind of like spurs, okay? Uh, to spur on a person in the right direction towards a wise course of action. But Ecclesiastes comes along and says, yes, there's this operating system, and there is a glitch in the system. Because 
we now live in a fallen world. God designed it perfectly according to his wisdom, but now we live in a fallen world and there's a glitch in the system. And that's why he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8, hevel, hevel, says the teacher, everything is hevel. He uses that word almost 40 times in Ecclesiastes. This idea uh, translated various ways in different translations, futility, vanity, meaninglessness. Um, what does that word mean? Literally, it means vapor or smoke. So if we were using that word in a literal sense, that's what it refers to, but that turned into being a metaphorical, uh, using the word in a metaphorical sense for three different things. Number one, life is fleeting and temporary. Life is fleeting and temporary. In fact, that's how he opens his book in Ecclesiastes, and that's how he closes his book in Ecclesiastes in the final couple of chapters, dealing with the temporariness of life. He opens in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3, says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. So you can go, he's basically saying, hey, go, go sit up on a mountain and just watch a city down below and, and see uh, all the activity and all the stuff. And just that mountain's going to be there when people come into that city. That mountain's going to be there when that city no longer exists. That mountain's still going to be there. Life is a vapor. Life is temporary. But number two, life is absurd and doesn't make a lot of sense. There are absurd areas to life. He is being honest. That's what I love about the Bible. It is authentic and it's honest. It's not photoshopping the world for us. It's not photoshopping our lives for us. It's just saying, hey, here's my experience and what seems to be the case. Life is temporary. We'd say amen to that. Uh, that life is fleeting and temporary. But he'd say, you know, there, there's a lot in life that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It's an enigma. It's a conundrum kind of like smoke. Something, a substance you feel like you can grab, but it's not there when you reach out and grab. There, there's uh, the ridiculous, the absurd side to life and so much that is shrouded in mystery. That's why you've got to be careful to begin to give meaning or your justification or reason for certain events that take place in life because sometimes they're just shrouded in mystery. We won't know until we get to heaven. The third angle to heaven is that life often does seem pointless. Some of the activities you go through, you might ask yourself, perhaps you've asked yourself before the question, what is the point of this? The meaning of daily occurrences often give that sense of meaninglessness. So um, let's look at an example where he talks about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. He, he talks about the glitch in the system. He's going to talk about the glitch in the system. Um, he says in Ecclesiastes 9, 11, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. Hevel happens, time, chance, the randomness of life. He continues, verse 12, moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpected, unexpectedly upon them. So this is uh, his um, analysis of the way that the world functions. The system is supposed to work where 
there's a cause and effect relationship, and it often works like that. But as he draws out, that's not always the case. In chapter 8, verse 14, he says, there is something else meaningless, something else hevel that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is hevel. So he's being honest with us. He's pointing to this reality. There's a glitch in the system. And so the question becomes, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Here's the action. Here's our response. Enjoy the gifts of God and the life and life as you experience it, not as you think it ought to be. Let me explain what that means. You go back to chapter 9, verse 7. He begins to say something he repeats multiple times in Ecclesiastes. He says, go eat your food, chapter 9, verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless Days. I'm sure this guy was just great at parties, don't you think? (laughs) For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do with all your might, do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So his answer to this is, hey, you know, uh, Proverbs, there's a lot that's in your control. Okay, you you can generally expect that if you do this, you're going to get a certain outcome. And this this is how the system works. God has designed the world to function a certain way. And so we're to live in harmony with the wisdom of God, with the hokma, And we're living our life this way. And we can generally expect these specific outcomes. But at the same time, there's a lot that's outside of our control. There's a lot that's outside of our control. And we can shake our fists at the heavens. We can get, get upset about it. We can do a number of different things. That's not going to change the fact that there's a glitch in the system. There are some people this past Sunday or this past week who may have been tempted. I saw a video of this who were watching a particular game on their television. And they thought that maybe they could change something by taking something in their house and throwing it at the television. So there's one guy, he's just like, you know, breaking his TV over his knee. I'm like, it's the Cowboys, okay? They probably need to change their name to Hevel. But anyway, (laughs) um, so (laughs) that wasn't in the notes. I'm off script now. But uh, yeah, so that kind of stuff. But if you white knuckle it, if you shake your fist to the heavens, that doesn't change anything. Hevel, Hevel, all is Hevel. What should we do? Enjoy the good things that God has blessed you with in life. Enjoy your family. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy opportunities to learn and to grow. Enjoy doing work. Do it with all your might, knowing that it's meaningful, knowing that it matters. Enjoy the gifts of God in life as you experience it, not as you think it ought to be. And I always like to use the example of driving. And I think I like to use that example because immediately when we leave this room, you're going to have an example. You're going to have an opportunity to experience Hevel and enjoy the gifts of God as you try to pull out of the parking lot, right? And so many times we do the right thing and we realize that other people do not do the right thing. And yet 
We should not white-knuckle it and shake our fists at the heavens, but enjoy life as you experience it, not as you think it ought to be. Finally, number three, key number three, logos. Live by the logos of the cross. And for this, we turn all the way to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he, he connects his commissioning uh, to preach the gospel with uh, this idea of the cross of Christ. But that phrase, preach the gospel, um, a lot of times people think of just someone doing what I do, standing and preaching uh, the gospel behind a pulpit or something like that. But all that word is, is uh, in the original, it's just taking the word gospel that's a noun and making it a verb. So it's like evangel, gospel, evangelize. Gospel, gospelize. It's making that a verb. So notice what he says in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Now, the message of the cross, we would say, is the gospel. But notice that word message. In some of your translations, it might be word. That's the word logos. For the logos of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I believe that we're all formed ultimately by three things in our life, uh, relationships, the relationships uh, of people in our life that, that shapes us, that forms us, has a profound impact on us. Our consistent behaviors, our habits, uh, every single day they're shaping and they're forming us. And also the stories that we believe, the stories that we believe about the world. And so, for example, if you're an atheist, you're going to believe a much different story about the world and what's going on in this life. Richard Dawkins, famed atheist, wrote in one of his books, Out of Eden, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it or any justice. The universe that we observe is precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. And so that is an atheist take on the universe that we live in, that there's just all these things going on, there's no evil, there's no justice, there's no rhyme or reason to it, it's just, all these things are just happening, uh, all of these things are just occurring to us each and every day. There, there's a hint of that. Uh, that sounded a lot like uh, what we read in Ecclesiastes. You won't find any rhyme or reason. So Ecclesiastes is honest about the way that perhaps we may experience life, but ultimately he says there is a God in heaven who gives meaning and purpose to everything that we do. Everything that we do in life has purpose and meaning precisely because of the true story known as the gospel, that God in the fullness of time sent forth his son Jesus Christ into the world who went from village to village overturning the darkness and the brokenness in this world, giving sight to the blind, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, good news is preached to the poor, and he raised the dead. He proved his power over sin, over death, 
and over the devil. Day after day after day, he lived a perfect life, and ultimately he went to the cross and died on the cross in our place and for our sins so that we might be justified, that we might be adopted into the family of God and spend eternity with God in heaven as his forgiven children. And anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus, that is those who've gone on before us, that's where they are right now. They're in the presence of God. And we know that because Jesus rose from the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He stayed 40 days among his followers, and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And one day, he will return for his people. That is the story of stories. And here's the thing. Here's the action. You have to understand your life's calling in light of the gospel of God. You see, you get your purpose, you get your meaning in life from God's design for your life. God created you for a purpose. He created you for a reason. Your life is infused with purpose and meaning. But that purpose and meaning are in direct relationship to what God is doing in the world, to the cause of Christ in the world. That's why when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he keeps going back to another word, the word called. He opens and describing himself, he says in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. He continues in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. He continues on in verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Skipping all the way down to verse 24. Start at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then finally, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Our calling is our commissioning. Our calling is our purpose, our direction in life. And that is directly tied to the script, okay? There's this redemptive historical script that God has written. And each and every one of us have a role in that. All of it connected to God's purpose for this world. So my question for you today is, are you living well? Are you living well? And... I want you to reflect on these three ancient words and how they, that might help you improve to live well. To know that there is a pathway to living the good life as the Bible defines it. Part of that is living your life in harmony with the wisdom of God. Applying that wisdom on a daily, consistent basis. Warring against sometimes your cravings, your desires, and the way you want things to be, and instead following the wisdom of God, knowing that even in doing so, when you're following the wisdom of God, when you're doing the right thing, sometimes there's going to be hevel. Every day you're going to step out into a world that has an operating system where you can expect cause and effect, and every day you're going to step out into the world where there's a glitch in the system, where you're going to do the right thing, and then you're not going to get the outcome that you, expect, that you would expect, that you would hope for. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Continue to improve, that's number one, but also spend time enjoying the gifts of God each and every day, the people around you, the relationships around you, 
the opportunity to do meaningful work and know that it matters, all of these things, and ultimately get your purpose and your direction, your meaning in life from the gospel of God. This is what God's doing in the world. This is what's going to bring fulfillment to our lives is by living according to the mission of Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our Gracious Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be wise this morning and that we would be listeners. That we would know that this wisdom comes from your word. It has been tried and tested for thousands and thousands of years. Godly men and women taking your wisdom, applying it to their lives, and living fruitful, productive, abundant lives for your namesake for your glory father help us to know that every person in this room can grow can grow in our skill of living that there's not anybody here that's too far gone help us to not listen to the devil who's going to try to tell us it's no use there's no point why even try you've tried before you failed why try again Father, help us not to listen to him, but help us to listen again to you, to be wise by listening, humbling ourselves as students, and walking in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for your wisdom and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.